This is Coda Radio, episode 185, for December 28, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is the mysterious and East Coast-bound, and some might say East Coast-restricted, why he has folks, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey, Chris, one day I'll get that tracking bracelet off. <laughs> You know, Mike, I don't think they're going to let you on the West Coast. You're, you're just too easy. You're too far gone now. I know. I, I, you know, I just woke up and I'm like, let me have a bagel with some tailored, some pork roll egg and cheese on it. There yeah, we go. I, I actually just feel like you just hanging out on the West Coast would probably stress you out too much because it's just, uh, it's too low key for you. Well, I, it's true. I would take a stroke just because I'd be so angry and nobody else would. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, Mike, I got a, I got, I got a confession. I may not be 100% today. You see, uh, the holidays happened since we gathered together last, and uh, as is tradition, family has infected me with their crap because they didn't properly take care of their own bodies, and then they didn't properly get themselves healthy before they came to a family function, and so then they have now once again spread a respiratory sickness to me. And I swear, I'm, I, I, it's like, that's the only colds I get is the stuff that affects my throat and chest that makes it hard to do shows. That's the only, that's the only colds I get. And so, here I am, sick, right before the New Year's. Right before the New Year's, Mike. And you know who did it? Dear old mom. Mm. Dear old mom. Apparently, she wants her son's career to collapse all around him because he won't have the ability to talk. <laughs> so, other than that, Mike, how was your holidays? Did you have a good holiday? You know, not bad, not bad. Saw family. Um, still half on holiday, half, you know. I was going to take this week off, Apple style, yeah. but... Yeah, oh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that didn't yeah. work out. So, so you're doing the ramp up again? That's kind of what I'm doing. I'm hoping to get the hell out of here after this show today, but I don't know, because I don't feel very good, you know, but, yeah, I, like, but there's work knocking. This is a weird week, right, because you can't get anybody on the phone. Right, right. <laughs> you can't do anything. I don't even, I don't, I don't even feel like, even if I got them on the phone or email, like, I don't even believe, like, if they committed to something, they'd actually even remember it. Which is understandable, right? I mean, we've got New Year's coming right up. Yeah. And most people, I mean, the building I work in, they're like, it's half empty. Yeah, but I got like, I got work I'm, contra- I'm going to contract out. Like, I'm not even contacting the contractor, even though I want the work done. Because like, I, I just like, I don't want to risk them screwing it up and then that taking more of my time because they screwed it up because of the holidays. So like, I'm just willing to not have this thing until after the holidays. So that way I have a better shot that he'll actually listen. You know what I mean? Like, that's... That's, it really messes with me. It messes with my workflow. It, it messes with my health. It's no good. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, you know, having deliverables around the holidays is just for everybody kind of a bad thing, right? There you go. There you yeah, go. So anyways, but other than that, good holiday, and I hope everybody out there had a good holiday. And last week we put out a uh, like a look back at a, a few topics over 2015. And uh, sort of forecasted by those by the topic selection, what we'd be talking about today, plus some other stuff we want to work in. So today's episode, there's a few things we want to bring up from the past year and discuss further. And then I got a couple of things, and I, I'm sure you do too, that we should talk about 2016. And here's the best part. Because it's December 28th, 2015, we can say anything about 2016 and nobody can really hold it against us. See, for those shows like the Linux Action Show, they're going to have to do their predictions episode in 2016, man, the stakes are so much higher when you're making a prediction about a year you're in. But I think psychologically, if you're in one year and you make a prediction about another year, the stakes are much lower. So this, Mike, is the best Interesting. show. Interesting yeah. theory. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, it's true. So this is the best show of the week to do predictions in because we get the blanket of protection that is 2015. All right. Well, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with 20, talking about 2015 <laughs> or do you want to just dive into predictions? No, no, no. I think we should save predictions because I, yeah. I think we can lay the groundwork. Um, and so uh, I had a couple of areas that we picked for, uh, for uh, the last week's episode. And uh, one of them was uh, from episode 137 of the Coder Radio program. Oh, Mon- baby. 
the um, titled Monumental Android Failure. Uh, and uh, there's a couple of interesting things that I have learned since this episode aired. And uh, do you remember this is the one where uh, Marco was, uh, quote-unquote, airing his dirty laundry and he posted his sales numbers? Um, yeah, with Monument Valley's uh, really sad Android conversion yeah, rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is something that didn't really change over 2015, it seems. This whole – the whole the, the way that if you want to make revenue, you release an iOS app. If you want widespread adoption, but you know, maybe assume it's going to be free, you go Android. To- See, I totally disagree. I think it did change, but you still you want to make revenue, you go iOS. But the amount of revenue you're making now on iOS is less. Okay, okay. Right. I mean, and and in this time, you've released an Android app. Yes. So you think the tide has changed? I don't know if I see it. I don't know if I see <gasps> well, it. Well, let's be clear. I don't think the tide has changed. That Android has gotten better. Right. I think iOS and Android have both gotten worse. Mm, the Play Store has gotten better, right? The Play Store, when we first started this show, the Play Store was riddled with uh, knockoff apps. It still has them in there, but they, like, they, were, they were like front and center. And remember how bad search was? Right. No, no. I'm, I'm speaking in terms of revenue, though. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, would, I would argue that 2015, from just overall like not being shady and crappy, the Play Store did really well. Like, really, they cleaned it right up. Um, but in terms of making money, I would say the biggest app monetization story is actually that it's no longer iOS is better than Android. It's making money on mobile apps is incredibly hard, mm. <laughs> like in- ridiculously hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a total side tangent. Uh, so when Marco released the 2014 sales numbers, right. uh, there was a journalist that uh, – well, a couple of journalists oh, went after oh, him for yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a journalist that went after him and said this was actually a sexist thing for him to do. Uh, and that he was uh, uh, he was unfairly uh, dispositioning women in uh, in the uh, d- development community, and then yeah. it started uh, a whole tirade of of uh, or, or or streets or whatever you want to call them of blog posts about about this particular issue, and then it turns out uh, I was following I was, I was following Serenity Codwell uh, who writes for imore.com on Twitter, and it turns out that this blogger is actually a guy. Who assumed yeah. a false identity of a woman started yeah. this whole online false persona, and then went after Marco, even though he's he's a dude, but wrote as a woman with you know under and started a website and a Twitter profile and all these different accounts everywhere, and uh, so it turns out some of the people that were attacking Marco apparently had an agenda of their own. That's that's amazing. Yeah, I feel really bad for him though because he basically but, has stopped writing since then. Well, I, you know, I, I read this post, and I, I, I did hear him talk about why he doesn't write blog posts anymore. And maybe my memory is hazy because it was, you know, a year ago. But wasn't it about actual products, not who that wrote too. them? The, uh, it, was, right. it was also – remember he had the blog post that went crazy about the uh, – what was it? Uh, the, uh, the functional high ground. Also correct, by the way. Yeah. You know, the, the only fair criticism – and I don't want to stick on uh, stick on his blog post too much. But the only really fair criticism I saw of it, in my opinion, was that, one, your numbers aren't that good. They're actually pretty rough if you weren't a one-man team, right? Yeah, yeah. And two, your numbers are artificially inflated because you get a pretty easy pre- press bump that virtually nobody else gets. Have you heard him talk about how the uh, Patreon donation model has been working for Overcast? Yeah. Uh, I heard so I don't want to put words in his mouth, so I don't know. You would have to ask him. Yeah, but it sounds like but it's working okay. It sounds like it's. It sounds like it. It's I on mean, course to be like as revenue generating, but not quite. I couldn't quite. That, that is not the impression I got. Okay. I thought so. The impression I got, and I could be wrong. Not speaking for other people. Please email Marco at whatever all these email addresses. Get him on Twitter. Uh, yeah, he won't respond to you. Don't worry about it. Uh, you. It seemed like he did really well. Right in the beginning, and then it really trailed off. That would make sense, right? But it's all relative. Like, what is really well? Why is it free? Which his whole argument about why he made it free still doesn't really compute for me. Mm. Other than he already has a millions of dollars from, you know, uh, oh my God, I'm dropping a Tumblr. Tumblr. That it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think, it's, I, think it's, I think it's more of the iOS app store and all the app stores aren't, selling apps uh that, he's competing my, he's competing yeah. with a, a platform that ships a, a usable podcasting app uh mm-hmm. and then on top of all of that uh he's got a popularity online that sort of affords him the ability to to get an infusion of, of patrons so yeah i mean i i would say the, the real story here isn't you know did marco armant change his business model it's 
Marco Armit felt it was necessary. Yeah. Right? Okay. So uh, I want to shift gears to you and uh, something I started noticing uh, around July. But actually, I think it might have cropped up one week or two earlier in the show. But I, I definitely spotted it in July. And this has got to be one of the biggest things of 2015. I mean, this has got to be the biggest thing, actually, for you. Are we you. talking about that club I go to on Wednesday nights? <clears throat> I just got a new gown. It's going to be amazing. No, I was talking about the hair club. But hold on. Before we get to that, let's mention our first sponsor this week, and that is Linux Academy. Go over to, hey, look, I still have the snow in there. That's great. I think a little holiday cheer for you still, Mike. So there you go. We got we have snow in the Coder Ready program. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders and listen. It's more important than ever you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders because those jerks over at the Linux Action Show now have Linux Academy sponsoring too. And I don't want those guys over at Linux Academy Show getting ahead of Coder Radio. So go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. It supports the show, but better than that, it gets you a discount on an incredible online university, somewhere you can go to actually further your skills around the technology stack that you need to actually have a good competitive edge in. Everything around the Linux platform. And also AWS. Really, it is... The perfect destination if you listen to JB shows, you like something that goes a little further in depth, that actually has a little bit of understanding of what they're talking about. People that are passionate about the subject material eat and breathe that stuff in their everyday life and then bring that passion into their work, that's Linux Academy. They have nearly 2,000 self-paced courses. Instructor help is available when you need it. You can download comprehensive study guides, listen to them or read them offline. I've actually heard from a few people who listen in the shower. People get all shower thoughts, and then they go listen to Linux Academy. The two things go together. Magic. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. I really think the scenario-based labs is something you might want to check out because it gives you confidence. Actually, have had your know, hands on this stuff. Linux Academy is constantly improving their platform. New CDN throughout. HTML5 player, so it works on all your devices, even your freedom-loving ones. And let's be honest, that's a big deal to you, and they understand that. Linux Academy has 7-plus Linux distributions you can choose from. It'll automatically adjust the courseware to match that distro, and it spins up live servers on demand that also match that. And you get to just SSH in, you know, use it like a human being like you'd expect to administer a Linux box because they know what you expect. Keep track of all of your progress as you go. A great community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. New content being added all of the time. And they're even looking for some developers to work for them, some DevOps guys, and even some content creators. If that might be you, career at linuxacademy.com to get more information. Career at linuxacademy.com. Wouldn't that be cool? Also, those graded server exercises, they've been improving those. This is so cool. You get the work evaluated while connected to a real server. So these like, exercises, you log into a lab server, you perform a specific task. Linux Academy automatically grades your actions so you can see how well you did. How cool is that? It's all included with your membership. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go support the Coder Radio program. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And just for them, I'm going to bring the snow back. There they go. There's the snow. The holiday snow. Still load up, loaded up. All right, Mr. Dominic. So I started spotting this in July. I think it might have been early July. But the episode I included in the retrospective was really where you talked about it like the most the first time. It was on July 27th. Conditional Swift Justice, Coder Radio episode 164, mm. where Mike shares his first impressions of this new thing called the Ionic Framework. And I'm what? like, I'm skeptical. I'm a little skeptical. And so I noticed a personal thread with you throughout 2015, really starting in June, July timeframe, where like you kept visiting this topic of Ionic, kind of looking at it. And like at first sort of poking at it and then seeing what you could do with it and then talking about it a little more and talking about it a little more. And then a few weeks went by where you wouldn't say anything. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So so a little, little behind the scenes, and, and Chris doesn't even know this. Uh, f- for most of like the end of 2014 and the beginning of 2015, there was an almost Hunger Games style competition <laughs> between cross-platform toolkits that I, that I had going. I had a sense something was going on there, yeah. Right. And, you know, at first Xamarin really uh, – really came out well uh, partially because it had saved my bacon at one point but you know it, it really and, and we don't, we're not going to go into another Xamarin bashing session, <laughs> session because one I haven't tried it in months and so two it, I think a few of the guys at the work there listen and I feel real bad about that I do feel bad I mean and, and, and to be fair to them I actually don't hate Xamarin I 
just really don't think they should have charged me for Xamarin Forms and really wanted my money back for Forms. Because it was not what they said it was. Right, but, right. And they, they have since changed their marketing, by the way. They now call it a prototyping tool. Um, but fine. I'm sure they're doing great work. Uh, the the other – you know what? Should I name the other tool? Because there were a bunch of them. I mean, I'd be the, curious if you want to, yeah. Well, the, the there were a whole bunch of like Cordova-based ones, right? Because really Cordova is the dominant thing. Um, and the problem I was trying to solve once I kind of ruled Xamarin and the other non-Cordova ones out was that, you know, writing pure Cordova applications in what is now a very competitive market is just cost prohibitive, it, right? Writing all these widgets custom, oh, okay, uh, not having a decent button class to use. And time I know is money kind of a thing? Time is money. Time is competitiveness when you're going up against – And it's the thing that somebody else might be using to make their, make their work a little cheaper, a little quicker, the bit a little lower. Right, and, and you have to understand, like, we're, we're really small, right? So there are times when we're actually going up against a, an individual 1099 guy, and there's just certain cost realities, and the whole, you know, competing with offshore, though we don't do that much anymore, um, where doing everything as its own beautiful custom snowflake when you don't have to stopped making sense. So, and, I, and I'll, there, there is one other non-Cordova uh, stack I tried, but... Uh, there's something called RAM objects. It's interesting, but a little weird. And it didn't make sense, hmm. partially because the Cordova name had so much power in conversations that everybody knows what Cordova is and nobody cares what libraries you import on top of it, right? Right. Because no one's going to tell you not to import libraries. Um, but so there's Kendo UI, which is by a company called Telerik. That's uh, Telerik with a K at the end. Are you familiar with Telerik, Chris? I'm sure you that, are. Yeah, no. in fact, I believe I was actually okay. just reading a, a headline about them today. I didn't read the rest of the story. It's funny that you bring them up because this is like something I just started reading about and I am fascinated no more. Yeah, so it took us – they are, for people who don't know, they're a pretty serious developer tools company, uh, very focused on the .NET Microsoft developer traditionally. Uh, they have a number of projects. At the time, the product we were looking at was called Kendo UI, hmm. which can go on top of Cordova and basically be a um, – well, basically what Ionic is, right? Give you some niceties when working with your Cordova applications. They also had something called – oh, they had, a, they had a whole system. So you weren't just buying the library and the toolkit. You were buying an entire development platform. Interesting. And the pricing was not insane, you know, once you're talking about licensing these type of things, they're very enterprisey. So it wasn't too crazy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think they've become more price competitive as time has gone on. It was, I would say they were, they almost got it. They were second to Xamarin, uh, I'm sorry, second to Ionic. And the the biggest thing that they had was a real emphasis on data binding, right? Because remember, they're coming from a Microsoft background. So they're taking some of the best things of MVVM and applying them to this HTML5 uh, Cordova development sphere. Hmm. And so it didn't win out because Ionic was just a little bit better or? You know, it didn't win out. It's funny because I think if I had to do it now, Ionic would still win. But at the time, it was fairly new. And in, even in their marketing and doing the trials, they were definitely marketing towards a Microsoft developer. So some of the stuff was a little – like when they would do a tutorial by comparison, they were comparing to XAML, right? Yeah, okay. Which isn't super helpful. <laughs> I mean, we, I, you know, we'd done some XAML, but it wasn't like we had this years and years of, of you know, win one form or anything behind us. Right, but that background's coming through there for them. Right, right. And, and it's who they're selling to, right? Uh, the other aspect of it was, and I hate to say this, but Ionic is relatively open source. In fact, I think it is open source. They're charging for services if you want them, um, where Cordova isn't. I mean, I'm sorry, not Cordova. Um, Kendo UI isn't. But honestly, the biggest winner, the, the biggest reason Ionic beat them was Ionic literally is just importing a couple libraries on top of Cordova. Where Kendo UI, I felt, was close enough to being a different thing where you couldn't call it Cordova. Uh-huh. Which would have opened up a whole other uh, dependency issue, right? Because really, under the hood, Ionic is 
Cordova with some AngularJS on top of it, right? And they have a couple pre-built, you know, CSS classes you can use for their buttons, and, and that's great. And I do that all the time. But there is a path off of it, right? If if that ever if it ever ah uh, yes yes of course. Where with Telerik, it definitely seemed like what happens if I can't pay the license fee one day, and that's that's how I always evaluate these tools is. You know, what happens if that couple thousand dollar license fee actually becomes an issue? Right. right? Or uh, just, what happens if you decide to move somewhere else and then, you know, are you going to have to pay this this license fee for the legacy code that you then have to maintain because of contract? Or? Which is actually how Xamarin worked, which is another reason I'm, I'm a little gun shy on them. To take a Xamarin project that, that even I had done, even a personal project, and compile it, I would need a, a new license because my license is now void, which is a little weird mm-hmm. to me, right? Um, you know, the annual subscription model for, for the license there is a little tough. Uh, having said that, you know, this wasn't because I have some deep-seated love for Cordova. <laughs> I, guess I, mean, I guess if people knew the show, it might almost kind of sound like it's coming across right, that way. There are roughly a hundred and something episodes where I, I advocate why native is better. But at some point, and, and I think this is another trend in 2015 for, for me personally, and I think a lot of people in the kind of consulting dev for hire yep. space, yep. Yep. You, you have to sell what people want, even if they really shouldn't want it. Right. So it may make sense to do a really nice native application, but the reality is people want flexibility. They want cross-platform. In terms of, and I'm talking about B2B sales here. I'm not and they also B2B. want it in an unreasonable time frame for an unreasonable price. Uh, they, they, wanna, they want fixed quality, highest quality, fixed cost, and fixed time, which is a whole other problem, but that has nothing to do with the year. That has to do with just reality, right? Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of uh, – the reason to import other, uh, other open source tools on top of Cordova, which I have – of all the other HTML5 shops I know, people I know who do it personally – there's not many people who are doing this professionally that aren't doing that. In fact, I don't know any. Because you're competing in such an aggressively, you know, we need this done by January 5th, period, and our budget is X, and, you know, we understand that's low, but we don't believe and get what you pay for. Hmm. Right? So you're not able to custom write their button for them. And I don't think you should. I mean, there's a whole argument about well, this is a line of business application. Do we need to be writing our own beautiful animations or can we just use the built-in, you know? you know, I mean, before Ionic, before Telerik, people were using jQuery Mobile, right? Yes. So this has been going on ever since Cordova became a thing. And when it was PhoneGap, right, Adobe even tried to at one point sell proprietary additional right. packages for it. So this is not new, right? There's a whole packaging library for it. The difference is... And I think it's a sign of maturity in the mobile space that these tools are really designed to formalize the code, formalize the architecture of your Cordova application, where before they were basically just spas, right? They were single-page web applications on mobile, and God help you if something wasn't performant, or God help Mm -hmm. you if you had to maintain it for more than a year. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, that's the reason. You know, I don't want to go into every every tool chain that – I decided not to go with because I'm sure they make sense for other people. Um, it does seem, though, like the meta theme is tools got to a point that they weren't at in 2014. Business realities also sort of got to that same point where they required that. And then also the market realities of the uh, of the Play and iOS store also sort of put downward pressure on how much time you invest in something. So it's sort of like all of these things came together, and listening to you over 2015 is sort of watching you make that adjustment, or well, I guess I hearing s- you make that adjustment. Yeah, I, I would say on the B2B side in particular, the theme was it needs to be – you need to check these boxes and you know cross-platform more, way more so than in 2014 or especially more so in 2013 became a, a mandatory box. Where before I had seen a lot of, you know, we're going to buy 100 iPads or we're going to buy, you know, everybody gets an iPhone. There's a lot more, and I think this is just IT departments being smart and leveraging the fact that everybody has a smartphone and, you know, not paying for them. That it needs to run on both because we don't want to buy everybody an iPhone kind of thing. Right. 
Um, I don't know if that's a bad thing. Uh, the downward pressure on the consumer side, which is what I would call the Google Play and, and Apple App Store, I think is actually more of a serious problem. I think the B2B stuff is just maturity. That's that's what happens with every new technology, right? Prices go down because there's more people who do the work and because there's more prefab tools that can uh, that can pump something out faster. And mobile just became like any other software project where the problems you're going to have are going to have to do with relationship and project management, not necessarily with technology. The The consumer side is kind of a much bigger mess i think (laughs) um you know you how can i say it's big bets seem to equal big losses on the consumer side right Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i talked about the ipad pro i wrote a blog post about the ipad pro and how you know i am pre-production on an ipad pro project uh under under me under my own label but i don't you know, I, I don't know how it can be successful without some sort of upgrade pricing because it's just too big, right? It's it's very hard to do the math even at $10 a license. Do you want to slip a 2016 prediction in right here? Because I, I'm sure you've probably read the news that uh, Phil Schiller has been uh, the app store. like, and uh, So before, Phil Schiller just ran um, the app review portion of right. the app store, which is your right. favorite part. Uh, <laughs> Love him. Yeah, but now he's also going to be running the overall app store too, which uh, it's bad. Well, I don't know. I mean, it might mean perhaps there'll be some changes. Perhaps upgrade pricing comes. So, what's your 2016 prediction? Will there be upgrade pricing in 2016? I think upgrade pricing would be the last thing that they would give. Um, I I really don't see a world where they do it. I mean, they did bundle pricing, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Because that seems a lot harder to implement than upgrade pricing, as other people have commented. <laughs> but, you know, and here's the reason I don't think they'll give upgrade pricing. Well, hold on. What if bundle pricing was just some reimplementation of like, the iTunes Music Store stuff? That makes I, sense. I think this right. is what it is. It's all running on top of iTunes Com- Music Store. Right. It's, it's the old complete my album thing. Right. Yeah. Then um, the argument against upgrade pricing, I think, is so few applications that are being written for iOS currently or that are released currently really warrant it right but the ipad pro i i really feel yeah. like these more complicated pieces of software and they, they really do but to do upgrade pricing i don't know how that works without giving the developers now direct access to the customer because you know how, how do you manage you know oh i'm sorry you're on the you're on version two not three without being able to look at the customer's receipt you know the itunes receipt and seeing what they bought and what they didn't. How do I don't, you do I don't understand. I don't understand the question. Wouldn't uh, surely the the iTunes App Store is aware? So you're going to say Apple's going to do the? Well, they just look, look at your purchase history, and if it's on, if the previous version's on your purchase history, then that grants you the upgrade pricing for the next version. No, and if I'm, you don't have it in your purchase history, they probably just display the full price. I'm talking about the the scenario where someone doesn't understand that they have. To, remember, there has been no upgrade pricing on on the App Store. For how many years now? Well, at least what? Is it five? I don't know. Five years now. Six? I don't know. So, and the other thing you have to keep in mind is iPad Pro apps have to be backwards compatible with iPad apps. So we're not just talking about saying there's a special little iPad Pro section of the App Store where we can do all this professional-grade customer uh, customer support stuff. Now, I guess your argument is that, well, why can't Apple just do that? I don't think they want to, right? I mean, look how long App Review takes. Do you think they want to hire more people? <laughs> My thought is it would be all done automatically. automatically. Yeah. You know, I, I would hope so, but I, the other argument against it, and I think maybe the more compelling argument than the one I just made is, you can kind of sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, do it with in-app purchases, right? As long as you're very careful about what you say. Yeah, you're just yeah. Be in-app yeah. I agree. That is sort of the workaround. Hey, you know something else kind of fun from uh, that episode? What Apparently, was that? that was the first time I announced uh, the uh, road trip to Noah's Ah, yes. See, Coda Radio gets the benefit of being the Monday show. You're in that Monday spot, so fresh stuff from the weekend that I can't wait to talk about lands here. So, yeah, I announced the uh, the uh, road trip there. So that's pretty cool. That was, uh, that was a long time ago. That was July. That was a long time. That was a long time. All right. So, so just jumping back one second. Yeah. What is, your, what is your prediction on Phil Schiller since we already opened the box on that one? Upgrade pricing. You think the upgrade pricing happens? I do, yeah, I do, but I don't think it. I don't think it happens uh, until uh, like uh, 
about this time next year. I think it maybe gets announced at WWDC. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a WW. If they, if they do anything like that, it's WWDC, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think the reason things got moved around is a big reason the uh, Apple Watch and iPad Pro are only uh, kind of a meh and not a boom is because the app ecosystem. Oh, and let's include the Apple TV. I suppose I have not had one yet, but uh, I was just listening today. It sounds like. Other people who are reviewing them think the app selection is rather low. Uh, although, compared to all the other TV set-top boxes, the app selection right, is all it's actually crap. not bad. I, I, yeah. I would say the, the overarching theme of um, monetization in, in, quote, app stores, right, was really building and building to the point of being super not sustainable in 2015. You know, yeah. I, would, I would almost say we went through phases. At the beginning of the year, there were rumblings, but there was kind of the, well, you know, you have to design something beautiful and you have to put work into it. You know, shut up, kid. You're just lazy. But now no one's making money, right? Or, or, or no one's making money like they used to. And, and you can't tell me that making an app and making $15,000 is sustainable because it's not. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very nice side income if right. you have a primary income and you then have the time to afford to create something like that. Right, well, because users have the expectation of unlimited support, right, that the app should continue forever. Hmm. That would be a good use for the Patreon model. Once Patreon funding gets to this percent, I will then do support. <laughs> well, I think that's what people are trying, right? People are trying all kinds of weird donation models and subscription models to get around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so another huge trend for 2015 that uh, I think both of you and I just sort of watch. And it, I think even now, I think I just saw you on Twitter still kind of mouth gaping at this trend. But before we get to that... I'm going to mention our next sponsor, and that's DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is supporting the Coder Radio program, and you can too by using the promo code CODERDIGITAL. It's one word, lowercase, and it gives you a $10 credit at a really awesome place. So let me break it down for you. There's a lot of ways you could use DigitalOcean. If you have a project you're working on, if you have something that you are just starting to poke at, or if you have something you're ready for other people to bang on, or if you have something that's ready to ship and have thousands and thousands of users, hit it. DigitalOcean has droplets that can meet those needs for incredible value on a really great platform dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own rigs. They're all Linux boxes. Well, actually, you can do FreeBSD, too. Running on KVM, which I think is one of the best virtualization platforms out there. SSDs for all of the disk I.O. So all of the transactions are super fast, which is really nice, especially on a Linux box that can take advantage of that kind of stuff. It's really great. And you, the density you can get when you go SSDs on these things is super impressive. But here's really kind of the nice thing. When you're ready, when you got an idea, when you're ready, you got a little bit of time to work on something, 55 seconds and you're ready to go at DigitalOcean, or probably less. Pricing plans are only $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte. <laughs> <laughs> a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, and a brand new one up in Toronto, The Hotness. That's what Alan Jude calls it. I love their interface. Super intuitive control panel. Power users, though, like, are you a power user? Or are you just sort of like a medium user? Even if you're kind of like a medium user, you could probably take advantage of their API. It's a pretty good example of what a nice, straightforward API looks like. They revved it earlier this year. They do it in versions. Great documentation. Go check them out. DigitalOcean.com. Use that promo code of power, and that's Coder Digital. Play with their new floating IP system to look really, really, really fancy and high-end. Team accounts, for those of you working on projects. The data centers all over the world. A versatile API, SSDs throughout, amazing hardware, tier one bandwidth, KVM virtualization, a rock and control panel, and 99.99% uptime. DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Coder Radio all of 2015. You guys rock. DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. All right, Mike, so in episode 174 of your own Coder Radio program here, we talked, uh, that was called Below the Surface, we talked about a couple of things, and I want to talk about two of them. The, uh, the first thing... I'll mention it in a moment. The second thing we talked about was the Surface Book and Microsoft and getting convergence and sort of mm. where Microsoft is at at all. Yes. all over 2015, sort of that big change in perception of Microsoft. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, Ars Technica wrote up a, a post the year Microsoft started getting the benefit of the doubt, which is a great way to put it. But before we talk about that, the first thing we talked about in that episode 
was the revelations that both of us had. I, I had gotten uh, back from the road trip. This is October 12th. I'm back from the road trip. And you are just back in uh, uh, in Jersey, back up there in the, at the at the uh, at the uh, Buccaneer HQ, coming back from Florida. Remember that? You, I'm sure you probably recall this transition. I'm not sure if you do. But right, right, right. You may. And we both sort of were like, "Holy shit!" We thought it didn't matter where you were if you had an internet connection, you could make you could do business in tech anywhere. You didn't have to be in these hubs in these hot zones, uh, the right. tech hot zones. And then we got and then after my trip and after your move back to Jersey, you're kind of like. Actually, that didn't work for me so well down in Florida, and I was sort of like, "Wow, I definitely noticed in some parts of the of the world, they couldn't give a sh- an s about technology. They couldn't give a crap about cell phones. There was enti- there were huge portions of the United States I drove through that just simply did not have internet at all. No cellular, no internet. If they had internet, it was satellite, and it was expensive. And so it just they are in a completely different world. And I think we both walked away from that going, oh, so you do kind of sometimes need to be in some different centers of tech. Yeah. So so another wider, uh, wider thing is that the whole, you know, do you need a physical space? Uh, does remote working work? Right. As I as, throughout 2015, I can't you remember 2014. I was very high and oh, you could just be virtual, right? It's small, you know, office, virtual staff. I've totally flip flopped on that. Uh Totally. And it's funny because as I've moved more towards the conservative side, people are now starting to take the position that I used to advocate of, yeah, we can just, you know, be all remote. And, you know, it doesn't matter where we are, right? Yeah, I think, I, I think though, oh, I, I, you know, I think my, my own experience bears that out too. You know, like uh, Ange and I, even though uh, we, could, we could talk over Telegram all day long, like we make sure that uh, she comes in here at least a couple times a week and we sit down and have like an hour-long meeting to discuss everything. And like Rikai and I, some of our best stuff is just in passing when we're just walking around talking. Uh, so uh, and there is just an unbelievable – and like – and Noah too. Like when, when, when we did Linux Fest Northwest – uh, I I could I could not believe what that crew working all together in one space pulled off. I mean, it was it was legitimately some of the most impressive uh, engineering at the last moment I've ever seen. And I don't think that would have been possible working remote right, either. Right. So I it has for me it's really stood out. And the other thing that I noticed about it is there's certain areas where there's just less of a cultural importance put on technology. And so yes. there, ergo, there's less importance put on infrastructure or teaching uh, other people about technology or word to word mouth uh you know uh, recommendations like that just there is not a culture of it and so there are certain areas that uh, also does not work well so remote is an extremely tricky thing and i think you're seeing uh, canonical recognize that too they've launched this ubicon initiative and one of their mm-hmm. biggest ones is the usm one that's happening happening like the day before scale in california this year or in 2016 uh and their their whole thing was yeah well we we did the ubuntu one summit once then we went to these online Google Hangouts, and now we're going back to doing it in person again. It's, it's yeah. like, and they're even sort of branding it that way. We're back to doing this in person again because that makes the difference. So, you know, the two, the two big trends that I had noticed was, and these are just my own personal, you know, notebook observations, so your mileage may vary, is on the development side, right? Because I tend to think of things uh, at Buccaneer in terms of sales and, and development, right? You can, you can do remote. But you need some pretty strict processes there, um, like you know, plug plug Jira, kind of a necessity. Uh, Slack, a necessity, mm-hmm. and you just need what I used to feel like is almost nanny state style visibility into what you're doing, and, and not because you don't trust people, but because you don't want two people working on the same thing or crossing and having a horrible merge conflict, right? But let's be honest, there are bad apples. And sometimes they're not doing anything. You have to be a little careful. But the bigger, and I would say much more surprising, but in hindsight it shouldn't have been, uh, since I basically do sales half the time, right? Closing a sale remote in terms of not meeting with the client in person increases the sales cycle almost 200%. Oh, man, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, and, and just, you know, by increasing the length of the sale... It increases the, what it costs to actually, you know, do that. Right? Not to mention the scheduling becomes a huge pain in the butt because some other stuff comes up in the meantime while you're still trying to get that one closed. And you, ha- you have a lot of opportunity for misunderstandings. It's a lot harder to build a rapport. You're more at risk to getting sniped by 
someone's nephew. Even a phone thing. call makes a huge difference. Even just even doing, a phone call. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I never. But but I, yeah, the, I, the like going out and like and then here's the other thing is because if you do it in person, you, it makes it, they ha, it makes it so much effort. They don't want to stretch it out too much. They just want to get it over with. Right. They don't. You know. They don't badger you about every little thing. They don't worry so much. And it also shows seriousness on, on their part, right? Because I think one of the problems working in, in the mobile space is you might get a bunch of people emailing you in or, or you might see a bunch of leads, but half of them are people who are like in college just curious, right? Or, you know, come be my CTO kind of thing. And having the in-person meeting definitely is a way to qualify those people out. Yeah. Because they tend to be flaky, and I think I want to make sure that I'm not overstating to the whole remote in-person thing because we have people who work for JB that have literally never been here and don't really right. need to. Like, there's people who who edit some of our shows uh, on the audio side who are completely remote and everything's done over syncing software, and uh, there's just literally no reason for them to ever come in here. Um, now it's tough though because if you are here, you sort of be you get to be you get more, and you sort of become more integrated in with the culture. Right. You become more integrated in with the process. You become more invaluable if you are here because you end up picking up a few more things, or you become more aware of more things. And so, people who work strictly remote, I feel like, are a bit of a disadvantage right. as far as working their way up the chain. Well, I, I would also are well, that's definitely true. But, but I would also make one side thing for me personally. Some of the best dev I've done has been at home or elsewhere, right? And I think part of that is because I tend to leave, you know, the phone at work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not constantly distracted by yeah. emails, random phone calls. Some of my uh, best work is done when I'm not at the office. And, right. And so that's absolutely legitimately yeah, – right. there's like a balance for sure. And I think the balance I, I might tip more to in person. I mean I think there's definitely a, a strong place for hiring contractors, even employees as remote for development. But you have to get the right person. And you have to have the processes in place because the reality is you can't do a Google Hangout, you know, four times a day, right? You just can't. It's it's not productive. You know, you're forcing effectively a work stoppage. And Chris, I can tell you, Chris can tell you, context switching is one of the most expensive things you can do. Telling someone, stop what you're doing because I need to know that you're actually doing something is a great way to waste money oh. if you're paying them, Right. So that's where I feel like Jira, things like that come into play. Slack comes into play because what are they working on? Oh, they're working on this. I'm not going to bother them. Um, again, it's a balance. And I, I would almost say it takes a certain kind of manager to strike the balance between you know, keeping an eye on what's going on but not being like super, hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Mm-hmm. To the yeah. point where the remote employee feels like they're being – Are you still working? What are you doing? What are you working on? Right, because there does come a point where that starts to feel like do you have a problem? Like, is there an issue here? Um, and I would even say maybe I'm not the, the manager who can do that because in the past I've had problems with that. Uh, so it, it runs both ways, right? Like if you are remote, you definitely need to, you know, if you're working on something, put it, then this is maybe too much uh, inside baseball, but, you know, we have an in progress for, for a ticket, right? Put it in progress, pull it back. Put it when you're actively doing something. Because obviously, if something's in progress for ten days, that's suspicious. <laughs> you know, but yeah. well, it's the holidays. Yeah, and I would even throw one more point out there. There's probably a management overhead of having a lot of remote employees, and I think it may. What we're going to see is that a lot of mid-sized to larger companies start to embrace it because they can do some serious cost cutting by getting rid of the facilities. But smaller companies, I, I think we may see a trend back to. You know what? We're a local shop. You have to be here most of the time, if not all the time. But that's just my very biased opinion. That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. Uh, and so why don't we shift from that to the trend that we also talked about, have been talking about all year, and that is you know, not Microsoft really kind of making some game-changing changes. Uh, let's start with uh, you know, Visual Studio Code up on GitHub, uh, .NET up on yep. GitHub. Um, they have made a lot of contributions to a lot of really important open source projects. They uh, are now a creator of a Linux distribution to run on, on Azure. It seems like uh, people are starting to change the way they view Microsoft's actions. And uh, some of that is the Sache hype that we've talked about in the past. Uh, but some of it seems to be genuine actions on their part. And uh, so I noticed that you said something on Twitter Oh, you! I think you reshared an old image of the Microsoft Empire saying, uh, "Join yes. us or die." 
And you're yes. like, wow, how times have changed. And it's, so is, tell me, how, you, how do you feel? Do, do you feel like it, has, it is a huge change? Is, and is, I, it, is Microsoft I, in a weaker position? What? You know, it's hard to call a company that makes billions of dollars a year weak. I, I maybe would prefer to say that they're in a more collaborative mood, right? They, they want to be on the basketball team. They don't want to play one-on-one anymore. Um, having said that, I do... You know they've done a lot of great things this year. Visual Studio Code is is legitimately impressive. Hololens impressive, though probably shown a little too early in my opinion. I think that should have been held back for another year. Yeah. Um, uh, the .NET open source great. Don't know how much it's going to matter in the long run, but great. Uh, their help with Docker, I think, is one of their least talked about, but probably most significant contributions this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, their weird version of Linux. Okay, they used to have a Unix variant too, so that's not as. I, 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 <laughs> All right, I, fair enough. It, it killed him. Do you see that? Yeah, it almost did. I didn't expect. I, I mean, that's an old callback. I can't I try to no, remember it's, what it's, But it's true, right? Yeah. What was it? Uh, Winix or something? It, no, it was something, no, it wasn't that. Chatter might remember, but. No, uh, I can't remember the name, but it, it's not a shocking move for them uh, to do that. The, you know, the, um, just one more thing, right? Their support of Node.js, again. Not that's it, that's a little more surprising to me, to be honest. But what? And of course, their step into hardware, which should have happened a long time ago. Yeah, the oh, Surface Book Pro, yeah. uh, the continued improvements on the Surface uh, itself. The Windows I mean, Phone situation has not been so good. Right. So then there's some black marks. Right. The Windows Phone situation isn't good, but also it, it's super nice that .NET is open source now. I mean, it definitely makes it an easier technology to look at. And that it natively will run on uh, Linux now, even if maybe it's easier to do it on their version of Linux, which I, I think is fine. I don't think that's a problem. I know some people are up in arms about that they have their own Linux. <laughs> no, I think it's totally expected. Yeah, but you're not selling me, right? Let's just take the most common case. If, if we're doing a project, and we're probably going to do it in Rails. The fact that .NET is open source isn't it in itself going to make anyone, in my my opinion, switch. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe they have numbers on this that could say, actually, Mike, you know what? It really was the proprietary license that was scaring people. But I just can't see you retooling a shop to, um, you know, to just because because .NET is open source now. Having said that, I think the real strength is that they're pulling a lot of these, let's just call them not-so-forward-looking IT departments out of the dark ages here, right? Out of the early 90s and really getting them more up to speed. So, yeah, it's Xenix. Xenix, uh, that's yeah. right. The discontinued version. Disc- yeah, well, I would think uh, so. Licensed by Microsoft from AT&T in the late yeah. 1970s, the Santa Cruz operation, SCO later acquired exclusive rights to the software and eventually replaced it with SCO Unix. Interesting. And the one thing that we didn't see that I, I thought would have really been a powerhouse was them purchasing Xamarin. Yeah, I, I expected that, to be honest Sorry, with you. guys who work at Xamarin. But you know, when, the, when they were flying them out there a few times and whatnot, I thought maybe that's the negotiations going on. Because uh, to be totally honest, if Xamarin was a, a 100% Microsoft technology, I think it would be a much stronger competitor to the point of I think some of these deals that are coming in, they're all Cordova. I think we'd see a lot more Xamarin. Having said that, in the last quarter, I've actually seen a lot of, uh, not a lot, but more than I would have thought of people looking at Xamarin. So, uh, Xenix, uh, was Microsoft's preferred platform of choice to run their own internal email system until 96 when they moved over to Exchange themselves. So they ran it internally because they didn't want to run a Windows server. So really, they're not changing. They're coming home. (laughs) Right, exactly. Uh, All right, I got a couple 2016 predictions. You want to shift gears to 2016? Let's do it. Tell, tell me the future, Oracle. Well, uh, this is the one topic that everybody hates when I talk about, but it jumps out at me as the biggest question mark for 2016, so I feel like it's probably the biggest challenging prediction to make. Uh, and this is pretty much the only show we talk about it, and it's wearables, uh, specifically watches. So, my friend, uh, over 2015, Chris had the Pebble Time, the Pebble Steel, uh, the LG Watch R, and the Apple Watch. Uh, let me see, am I forgetting anything? I mean, I've played with the Moto 360, of course. Uh, uh, I looked at the uh, Urbane for a bit. Rika, you can maybe remind me if I'm forgetting one. Uh, so I had a chance to play with uh, several different wearables, 
And I'm surprised that the one that I found to be most functional until recently was uh, the Pebble. Because really, if you're going to get a notifications machine, something to quickly dismiss that notification is actually pretty useful. Uh, but after the new SDK came out for the Apple Watch this year, the uh, folks behind Telegram updated the Telegram app to support uh, voice message uh, playback and responses from the watch. And uh, this is actually where the Apple Watch has turned out to be a pretty good device for me is uh, anybody who uses Bluetooth, like a Bluetooth speaker, like the Bose speaker or the Jambox, or, you know, all of the different Bluetooth speakers that are out there, or anybody that has like a Bluetooth system in their car. So when you're driving, your car's linked to your Bluetooth. You guys have probably experienced this pain in the butt problem where you go to respond to a voice message or you go to dictate to Google or Siri and it uses the microphone on the frickin' Bluetooth device. And it's always way worse than your phone's microphone. And it's always not near your face. And it it makes the dictation horrible. And, I, and in the case of my vehicle, it takes a good uh, four seconds for the system to switch over to voice, to, to, to activate phone mode on the entire car system. So the voice dictation doesn't even start for four seconds until after phone mode starts. And then I can dictate, and then it's horrible. So... Uh, where the Apple Watch has been really successful at, it's any time I need to do any kind of voice interaction with my phone and it's in Bluetooth it, uh, paired somewhere, which turns out is extremely common because I'm either driving or I'm paired to a Bluetooth speaker listening to a podcast. And so I'm almost always paired to a speaker. And I get a lot of voice messages. And I do a lot of, hey, remind me uh, after the show to do this thing. Because being able to open, being able to go to my wrist and say, uh, hey, digital assistant, I need to remember this thing, and, and I, only, I will only remember that thing for 20 seconds, uh, and then it will be out of my head. And, and it always happens like as I was walking into the studio today. And when I sit down and I do a show, by the end of that show, I will never remember that thing that I wanted to do after the show. So being able to quickly dictate that to something has, has really been a big uh, workflow booster for me. Uh, all of the all of the fitness stuff I've bailed on because some days I don't wear the watch or some days I'm on a road trip and so the numbers are unfairly low and I find them not useful. But paring down the notifications, using uh, the digital assistant and being able to now use Telegram to do voice messaging back and forth and voice dictation, I find it to be actually a pretty good device. Uh, I don't know if it's worth $300. I think it's probably worth $199, something like that. Uh, so I just – I wanted – you know, after having used the Pebbles, having used Android Wear, and now having used the Apple Watch for the last couple of months, um, I think my prediction is this is a category that continues to suffer for 2016. Uh, they're just not close enough. It's, it's really good, but it's just not there yet. And the new SDK on the Apple Watch helped a lot. But the Android Wear to build, you know, I just I was just at the store um, just a couple of days before Christmas playing with a couple of the Android Wear watches, and they just don't feel that good. Their UI still is slow. You know, it's it's these things that are not all that attractive either. Uh, so I'm not uh, super big on wearables, but I think for people like in our audience, it's going to move into that category. So I think there's a lot of people in our audience who still haven't picked one up. There is a lot that have, but I think the majority hasn't yet. And I think that's going to begin to shift, um, maybe because there'll be used prices. I don't know why exactly it'll shift, but I think mostly there's going to be enough, enough one-off use cases. Like for me with the Bluetooth thing, and that is that is so valuable to me because it is so frustrating to to get just to get just to get in the truck, get driving, and have all the system link up, and then ten seconds later I get a voice message, and my options are turn off Bluetooth on my phone. Wait 10 seconds while everything figures out Bluetooth is disconnected. Play the message, record the new message, and then leave my phone with Bluetooth off because I expect more messages to come back, having no idea if I will get new messages or not. Just sitting there waiting to see in case maybe I get new messages. And then, after all the messaging's done, I turn Bluetooth back on, I reconnect it to the stereo system, I hit play in the super special sequence that I have to do it or else the system won't connect properly because it's, you know, 2012, and so you got to follow the exact sequence or else the audio won't come through, and I go through that ritual so that way I can now get Bluetooth audio again, and then the next message comes in. So being able to, A, not have to take my hands off the road and, and or off the wheel, 
And B, being able to just flick my wrist and go, I will not have to deal with that right now. I don't have to turn my phone on. I don't have to look off the road. I will just not deal with that right now. Or I just tap my wrist with my hand on the wheel, which is a great position for my mouth, and I respond to the message, I flick my wrist, and the message sends. And it is way better. And and that particular use case is extremely useful for me. And so I think there's going to be more and more of those. Like for some people, it'll be sleep tracking. For some people, it will be the fitness stuff. For some people, it'll be a sports particular tracking type app. That kind of stuff. But I think it's going to be a slow burn. I don't know if we're going to have a clear winner on which one's a better platform. What Do you, you have any thoughts on wearables for next year? Uh, you know, not many. I think we probably have another year of development. So I would bottom line agree with you in a much shorter, more boring way. Sorry. No, yeah, that's fine. I, I think it was something that was rushed because Apple in particular felt like they needed to make a new category. Everybody expected it too. And I don't think they're there yet. I think there's some interesting things you can currently do with them, but it's not. You know, I, I mentioned before that I thought mobile was mature, right? I I don't think wearables are anywhere near mature. I agree with Rikai too. The best smartwatch will be the one that doesn't require you to bring your phone with you. The one that has its own LTE uh, chip in it. And also the one that if I end up, you know, unable to charge it for a night or I get held up somewhere, is not going to be dead. Yeah, you know, my Apple Watch seems to last about two and a half days with the yeah. with the new OS. My Gen 1 Moto 360 is a one-day-only kind of thing. Yeah. If I take it off at night and I don't put it on the charger, I can get two and a half days. Yeah. So that's not too bad, and which works for me because when I go on trips, I don't really bother bringing the charger. Uh, yeah, so there you go. And I know there is some Samsung devices and whatnot that have LTE, but I mean like something really nice, tight, and you know, usable. Do you have any 2016 yeah. things you want to throw out there before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, you know, a few, but no- nothing huge. I really think we're in, in general, a very transitional time frame now from a technology perspective. You know, we're polishing the things that were new a couple years ago, right? We're, mobile's maturing. Now we're building tools to get these projects done faster and cheaper. Um, wearables, I still think, has at least another year of development before it goes mainstream and is useful. Um, I would say if there's going to be any really interesting quote new category it would be tablets with productive software rather than uh, consumptive software but even then i'm not even sure i would call that a new category because the things holding that back have less to do with technology virtually nothing as we talked about a couple weeks ago right and everything to do with apple's policies and you know i I have one or two google predictions but they're not positive i mean i think google is in is really lost in terms of what they're doing with Android and Chrome OS. Um, I get a sick feeling that they're scrambling to try to find a way to have an ecosystem that they control in a in a more significant way, which I don't think they'd ever kill Android, but it does make me worry a little bit about, you know, at what point does Go or Dart become the language for Android development? Mm. You know, do we, do we have to keep up with the Joneses? And we've talked about it before on the show. I really think that's insane because by having Java as the language, they have a nice low barrier to entry there. Um, one of the main reasons Apple did Swift because Objective-C was a very high barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. So, so doing your own thing sounds crazy. But you know, I definitely am sympathetic, and I, and I would agree with the assessment that Android in particular is in this weird wandering-in-the-woods state now. Um, I'll give you an example. I'm working on a on a project, and I have a very small UI thing I want to do that's super inconvenient to do on anything below 5.0, mm. like to the point of taking hours to do. Frustrating. So I mean, and remember, the current version is 6.0. So on yeah. iOS, be no question, one version back, done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But I'm I've spent almost a week agonizing over do I do this as a um, you know, do I go through the do I a drop the UI thing, which I think is not possible for what I'm trying to do? Um, well, of course it's possible; it's not a good idea. B, do I put in all the work of doing this custom stuff for four four to get the maximum compatibility, or do I just say to hell with it, five own up? But the numbers are scary, right? Like, I'm going to give you an idea. Backpoints is like seventy five percent KitKat. Yeah, Just, 38. Uh, so I'm looking at numbers right now for 2015, and uh, this is from uh, Statista. And they say that KitKat is uh, 38.9, so basically 40% of the Android market. 
Yeah, well, in my own, uh, and I'm looking at the developer console now for backpoints, it's 73.2% are Android KitKat. And I, I don't know how to calculate the device, but I'm just looking at, based on this graph here, most of them appear to be Samsung devices. So that is not a great situation for anybody, right? Because KitKat came out when, and I'm, you know, it's not an issue for backpoints because backpoints is not doing anything, um, particularly you know, material design or anything like that. But this other project does want to go in a more, uh, more design focused way. And yeah, you know, I'll just tell you the thing I'm trying to implement. It's stupid. Um, I want circular images that do some stuff on touch. <laughs> now. It's not hard, but it's really dumb that I have to do a custom, that there's not just like a simple quartz core style, you know, dot corner radius, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if there is, please show me because I have not found it. Uh, every time I've had to do this, I've had to do a custom shape or some crazy stuff in XML. And the sad part is on 5.0 and up, you can just do it. And it's clean and it's a simple implementation. And what's super important to me, it is not custom code that you then need to support. Hmm. Um, so just a little trivia for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, October 15th, 2014, Google officially announces uh, Lollipop. And yes. on uh, November 3rd, 2014, Android 5.0 uh, was published to ASOP, or AOSP. I always call it ASOP. So de- OEMs and developers had access to Android 5.0 as of November 3rd, 2014. Right. And here we are, ha-ha, <laughs> into 2015, and it still has 40, uh, the version before it, which came out... Obviously, then I guess in 2013. Uh, let me see. Does it say on here? Uh, I'm not sure when. Uh, I'm not sure when it came out. But uh, if so, if Lollipop came out in 2014, then I would think that uh, KitKat came out in 2013. Yeah, I, I mean, it, you know, this particular pain point isn't that painful, right? Because I could just do a custom and it'd be fine. But the fact that you have to support KitKat for something so trivial—I mean, I'm sorry—the fact that it has to be custom for something so trivial, and just the thought of supporting KitKat really kind of messes with what you're doing a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. So KitKat was, uh, was announced on September 3rd, 2013. Yeah. yeah. So, so 2013 is the most current version. And this is a Q2, Q3 release in 2016. That's, that, that, how, how is that excusable? I mean, I realize it means, you know, everybody's responses, there's so many other things besides just the version number, but boy, that's rough. That is, a, that is a rough explanation. Well, not really, because all I have to do is test on a few Samsung phones. Yeah. A couple of Nexus for people who listen to the show, because let's be honest, that's who's buying the Nexus. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't want to look too foolish. So that's it. I can say, looking at these numbers for backpoints, at least as a guide, I can safely ignore everything that's not Samsung. And there's just like a little sliver of Nexus here. So prediction for 2016, uh, does KitKat finally die? It must, right? I mean, it just must. I mean, it's got to. Or maybe not die, but becomes ignorable, right? But it's... That would be a good way to put it. Becomes yeah. It becomes discardable if you are not targeting that particular market. Right. Right. Now, there is a small argument with this application that I could ignore it anyway because people who would potentially download this are probably not going to be running an old version. But... No one's running 6.0, and that's the current version. Oh, I'm not. I know. I've, I, was, I, I don't have it. I was extremely tempted to go pick up a next. So, you know, I broke my phone, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. just really messed it up. And then uh, we, were, we went on a family trip to a town near here called Leavenworth. It's really pretty. And lots of snow. And I wanted to take lots of pictures of the kids. And it just happened to be that I had a – so I had an iPhone 6, uh, and the camera was falling out of it. Because I cracked the screen so much, the glass kept falling off, and eventually, now the glass had fallen off that the camera module started falling out. And that was kind of a bummer since I want to take a bunch of pictures of the kids. So I was really considering getting the uh, Nexus 6P because I want Marshmallow. And uh, but the other thing I really want is a good camera, and the 6P has a really good camera, except it doesn't have optical image stabilization. And that was sort of when you're doing 4K video. You gotta have optical image stabilization, even if it's pathetic optical image stabilization. You gotta have it. Uh, so I ended up going with the iPhone 6s Plus. Okay. I got the big boy, uh, and uh, the other thing that kind of pushed me that direction was just—I mean, the iPhone 6s. Just it is unbelievable the gap 
in performance. Uh, and so I did some reading up on why is the iPhone 6S and even the iPhone 6 just destroying some of the latest Android devices and the benchmarks. I mean, just it's bad. And so, it, you know, it, I start reading about how how poorly things have gone for Samsung with the Snapdragon processor this year. And so it's just plagued a whole line of high-end Android phones this year that went with the Snapdragon. And uh, honestly, I am extremely sensitive to performance on the phone and any kind of lag in scrolling or application launching or the application switcher, I find to be really intolerable. And uh, so um, that is sort of what sort of the the 6S – uh, uh, plus AT&T yep. had a promo to buy one, get one free. I mean, that's kind of crazy. So uh, you can get those and then you can unlock them and then you've got a free uh, iPhone. So that seemed like that would be a great way to go. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways you can make it work. And so I looked at that and I thought, well, I know that uh, I I was pretty happy with the iPhone 6 and the Apple Watch combo. And it was thanks to Ting for, for hooking me up with that. So I decided to do that again. Uh, so I went with the 6S Plus and uh, I'll be getting that. And yeah. uh, I'll have that on Ting. And then uh, I'll be using that phone probably for most of 2016 unless Android manages to impress me with something. Yeah, I'm still, for my personal phone, I'm rocking the iPhone 6 Plus uh, from last year. For my work phone, I'm rocking a Samsung Galaxy S5, but I'm using the Microsoft, what is it? Um, oh, what's their launcher name? I can't remember it right now. Oh, yeah, their Android launcher. Yeah, I'm using that, which is actually really nice. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, have, a, I have a suspicion, uh, depending on how it works out, that I may end up getting a uh, a marshmallow device just so I have experience with it because I've always usually tried to run at least one Nexus device for the last few years. Uh, I'll just have to, you know, I got to pace it with Ting. I got to make sure I got to. I don't want to. I don't want to overstay my welcome. But I'll see. Maybe they can hook me up or with a deal or something for the Nexus Six. Maybe mid- midway through the year or something like that when they come down and maybe a bit in price or something. Yeah, I'm, I, I might upgrade my work phone, say the summer or next fall. Too. I'm thinking the 5X actually, but yeah, we'll the happens. 5X also crossed my mind too. It really did. I just yeah. uh, yeah, I you, want a, you want the Huawei one? I understand. Yeah, I did. I did. I wanted that metal case. I wanted that yeah, metal case. It does look nice. I just yeah. I can't have two big phones, or else I'll look like MC Hammer. Yeah, so. there's that. That is a good point. Yeah, that that is a really good point. All right, Mike. Well, so we have some feedback. I might try to bump to next week. Uh, uh you know, why don't we go ahead and bump it? Yeah. I have, you know, because the, with the holidays, the emails get in low, so we could save that for next week because they're not too super. They're not super pertinent, so we'll do that. So yeah, we'll bump the feedback for next week, and we'll uh, we'll call that a show right there. So, Mike, is there anything else? Any other predictions? Any other, anything else you want to touch on before we uh, wrap it up? No, I'm going to be brewing beer in 2016. Ooh, yeah, I really want to know about that because that is that is boy that I did that. I've done it twice, and I yep. loved it. Yep, first one coming out hopefully before my. Uh, before my son is born, will be an IPA. That'd be a nice celebration beer yes. when everybody's over. You know, I my I think it was either my first or, or it might have been my second batch of beer I brewed. I brewed for the wedding, and it turned out to be mm-hmm. the most popular beer at the wedding. Nice, nice. Worked out well. All right, Coder Radio is live on Mondays. Go to jblive.tv to catch it, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that adjusted to your local time. The robots do it for you. Coderradio.reddit.com to submit topic ideas or content suggestions. Feedback thread for 185 over there. Hope you had a great holiday. I hope you have a really great New Year. Happy New Year, Mike. Happy New Year, everybody. Holy smokes. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact to send the show feedback. Go check out Mike. He's online. Go look at Buccaneer Tech. Isn't that a thing? You should you a thing. Ch- check it out. You should check it out. That's right, a happy New Year! <laughs> Alright, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Quota Radio. And may the force be with you.